When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Candace Lim. And I'm Madeira Goff, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And today, we have an ICYMI A-list friend of the pod in the studio. It's Nadira. Nadira, how's it going? It's going good. I'm so happy to be here again. How are you? I was good. Now I'm great because you're here. And I think the listeners do deserve an answer because the question is, where is Rachel? So Rachel is currently, I'm hearing, on a one-on-one air balloon date. That's right. She made it past week three of The Bachelor. But no, Rachel is taking some time still. She'll be back soon, guys. But don't worry. Because we actually kind of have a packed show today because so much has happened on the Internet. So much has happened on the Internet this week that it is bananas. Exactly. And you know what? Let's start here. Okay, Nadir, we're going to play a game. And the game is I'm going to say the first half of a phrase and you fill in the blank for me. All right. Yes. Here we go. Okay. The phrase is it's the outfit, though. (sighs) The answer is you a mom, which at this ding, point ding, ding. is triggering. And I'm not saying that lightly. I genuinely mean that the discourse this phrase has caused on Twitter actually screamed red flag, red flag, red flag over and over again to the point where I just thought maybe, maybe I will get rid of Twitter. Maybe this is it. It wasn't. Yeah. I mean, look, here we go. On July 5th, a video was posted of Kiki Palmer, America's sweetheart, we must say. She was being serenaded by the usher at his Las Vegas residency. Now, Nadir, you've seen this video. How would we describe this video? So it's important to note, I'll probably be saying that a lot as I talk about this situation (laughs) because you just won't believe where it ends up if you were not already aware. But it is important to note that Usher has been serenading plenty of women celebrities at his shows Mm -hmm. using various songs. So he serenaded Kim Kardashian with My Boo, Taraji P. Henson with Rock With Ya, Issa Rae with Superstar. This time, he was serenading national treasure Kiki Palmer, whom we all know I love very, very much, (laughs) with his hit song, There Goes My Baby, which is one of my favorite Usher songs. Mm -hmm. And in the video, Kiki looks amazing. And I need to tell you what she's wearing. And if you're like, why are you asking for a description of the video? Why does it matter what she's wearing? That will become very apparent. 
in a few moments. Mm -hmm. So she's wearing this dress that's like a black unitard underneath with a sheer black polka dot lining over it. So her like midriff is covered, but her like booty and her legs and her arms are only covered by a see-through sheer sort of mesh looking uh, cloth or fabric. Mm-hmm. So that's what she's wearing. And she's being serenaded by Usher. And this is Usher, okay? When he serenades <laughs> you, he doesn't just sing to you from the stage and like mm. point. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he holds you, you sway. He might pull up his t shirt so you can feel Ooh. his abs the way he did for Taraji P. Henson. He pulls out all the stops. So they're swaying. He's singing. At one point, Kiki sings into the mic, and she sounds absolutely amazing. Everyone's cheering for both of them. The vibes are up. It's great. It's all good. Yeah. We are happy for Kiki. Life is great. And then, oh, listener, and then things take a turn. Because the father of Kiki Palmer's son, his name's Darius, he, quote, tweeted that video. And he said, it's the outfit, though. You a mom. Now, Nadira. When you first saw his tweet, what did you think? I will admit that I thought he was joking, but I have good evidence for this, which is that Kiki and Darius have been very online, not always, Mm -hmm. but since her pregnancy. And a part of their sort of consistent motif online, something that they always bring up, whether it's him bringing it up and posting on Instagram or her bringing it up, is the way being pregnant and having a child has changed her body positively. Mm. She's a little bit more full-figured now. She's got curves where she didn't used to have curves. And her body was wonderful before, but she herself has said, I'm very, very proud of the way my body looks now. I love what being a mother has done to my body. And he also has made some very funny jokes of very appreciative things about like, oh, wow, look at what our son did to, you know, et cetera, Mm -hmm. in a very sort of appreciative way of her and her body. So when I saw this tweet, I thought that he was joking. I right. thought it was just another one of those moments. Right. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I was very wrong about that. I will admit I was wrong and I'm sad that I'm wrong. Like in my revisionist history, I was never wrong. I was right and it ended there and there's no story. But uh-huh. that's not how it went. I totally hear you, Nadira, in that there was definitely some benefit of the doubt here to be like, oh, maybe maybe this is just what his relationship with Kiki is like, maybe. But no. It was not a joke because, oh, Darius, he doubled down. He doubled down. He definitely doubled down. And I think it's also important to note that another reason why I thought this was a joke is because I assume that for him to say something so serious like this on Twitter, so disparaging, that they would have had to have been sort of on the rocks or in the midst of a tiff. And the day before, less than 24 hours before, Kiki had tweeted something to the effect of, I love my man. Mm. And so I was like, well, they're obviously not fighting because less than 24 hours ago, she tweeted to the public about how much she loves her man. So this must be a joke. (laughs) I was wrong about all of the above. (laughs) So he did double down. And Darius tweets, quote, We live in a generation where a man of the family doesn't want the wife and mother to his kids to showcase booty cheeks to please others, and he gets told how much of a hater he is. Which, I don't have time to nitpick this entire thing, (laughs) but to please others? Question mark, question mark, question mark? Booty cheeks. Anyway, Mm -hmm. 
From there, CNN and a whole bunch of other outlets picked this news up. And Darius is from Philly, so I actually knew a lot about him before mm. because I saw that he was a Philly sports fan. And we all know I'm from Philly. And so yeah. I, you know, have already done the research. But a lot of people didn't. And so a lot of people were looking up who is Darius. And now he's all over these different publications. And our local paper, the Philadelphia Inquirer, jumped in (laughs) with an article that had a headline that read, Who is Kiki Palmer's boyfriend? And does he prove that men from Philly are embarrassing? We investigate. Oh, man. And you know what? (laughs) They are. And he does. Mm -hmm. And then people also found out in the midst of this that you know, how did she end up dating him? Well, he's the brother of the actor who plays Drew from Insecure. So there's a whole sort of legacy or lore of things about this man that people have found out. And people found out on such a national stage because national outlets picked up this news. Yeah, it's never a good day when it's who is and your name. That is actually my worst fear and my worst anxiety dreams. But back to Darius. Let me just say something. Kiki... Kiki is a classy lady. True Jackson VP has never missed a memo. And so Kiki Palmer, she did not respond online. Okay, she did what she needed to do. She took it offline where it belonged. And she even added merch, okay, to her online store with crewnecks and shirts that say, I'm a mother. And she also has one that says Stevie to the bullshit. Uh, And by the way, in between all of this, Darius deleted his Twitter. He deleted his Instagram. He deleted photos of himself and Kiki from his Instagram. Like, I truly have never seen someone play so much offense when they're also on defense. I hope he understands that. That was a sports reference. But Nadira, (laughs) Nadira, what what can we even take from this saga at hand? (sighs) So many things. Okay, Mm -hmm. so first, just let's stop policing women's bodies for one. Mm -hmm. And I don't care who they are to you. I don't care if they're a stranger. I don't care if they're your sister. I don't care if they're your friend or the mother to your child. I don't care who they are. Let's stop telling women what they can and cannot wear and what they should and should not look like. Two, never attack someone that black Twitter loves so much because Darius's social accounts were scoured and Overnight, Black Twitter revealed that he was an alleged sexual assault apologist, police brutality apologist, transphobe, homophobe, and maybe more, judging from the content of his social media accounts. And three, I think it's important to note that I don't think this entire thing was necessarily about how she was dressing, but that Usher was intimately performing to her professionally, I should add. And Mm -hmm. a weak man just couldn't handle that. Because, like I said before, Darius had already said how appreciative he was of her body. And Kiki has already worn sort of, you know, skin-tight things in many occasions and many public events before. So I don't think it was necessarily about what she was wearing. I think it was more about what Darius couldn't handle as a weak male. And this also just says a lot about how weak men will just, you know, try and play in your face to exert some sort of control or power over you, which is both exacerbated by Mm -hmm. the fact that Kiki is the breadwinner of the family, so she has more power. But it's even more bananas of an act when you realize she is the breadwinner, because it's like, you're not only saying this to the mother of your child, but you're saying this to the person who writes your checks. Like, you really fumbled the bag. You really, really fumbled the bag. (laughs) But it also is about the way that women are viewed and how that changes when they become mothers or when they become, quote-unquote, a man's wife, right? Mm. Because the narrative is, you're a mom. The narrative isn't, 
you're my girl and I don't want you dressing out like that. It's you're a mom. And all of a sudden now there's this idea of what's respectable and what's acceptable. And I think that's also worth noting. But four, he could have been a misogynist in private. He was dumb for taking that to Twitter. So let this be a lesson to be smart about being dumb if you're choosing to be dumb. Be smart about it. That's very astute, Nadira. And the thing is, we're looking at this... Everyone's throwing in their best guesses and projections, kind of taking from their own experience. But all I have to say is Kiki Palmer. Okay, I hope next year when you file those taxes with the IRS, you claim only one dependent and that dependent is your son. But that is the Kiki Palmer box for today. Kiki, we love you. We are keeping it moving hive here. Okay, now we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about another Hollywood celebrity that was caught in the Twitter discourse crosshairs this weekend. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And we're back with Slate, Coulter, writer Nadira Goff. Now, the relationship news and drama circuit doesn't stop never stopping because we're going to talk about another pretty intense situation that happened recently on the internet. And it involves actor Jonah Hill and his ex-girlfriend, Sarah Brady. And just a note, we will be talking about emotional abuse. Okay, Nadira, where do we begin? So Sarah Brady is a surfer, I believe professional, at least semi-pro, who dated actor Jonah Hill in 2021. He was 37. She was 25 at the time. Last week, Brady posted a series of screenshots on her Instagram story, and these were of text messages allegedly sent between her and Hill. And they're not great, to say the least. Yeah. Brady posted on her Instagram stories, quote, this is a warning to all girls. If your partner is talking to you like this, make an exit plan, end quote. And these text messages show Hill asking her to delete posts of her surfing. She's a surfer. In the text, she says she's removed the posts. He responds, quote, good start. You don't seem to get it, but it's not my place to teach you. I've made my boundaries clear, end quote. And by those quote-unquote boundaries, if you're wondering why he would ask a surfer to delete photos of herself surfing, Brady also posted text from Hill about things she should just stop doing because they're his quote-unquote boundaries for romantic partnership. These include surfing with men, boundaryless inappropriate friendships with men, and posting pictures of yourself in a bathing suit, which is why he asked her to take that aforementioned photo down. 
Mm-hmm. And Brigitte explains that she's posting these now because, quote, keeping it to myself was causing more damage to my mental health than sharing it could ever do, end quote. But she also ends the IG stories with some final thoughts. She says, quote, I think fame can put people in an echo chamber of viewpoints, which can enable emotionally abusive behavior, end quote. Okay, Nadira, what do we even have to say about this? As a now-retired Jonah Stan, this is disappointing. Mm-hmm. It's upsetting. It's all of the things that people on the internet are saying it is, and also none of the things that people on the internet are saying it is, which is, mm-hmm. you know, what's new. But yeah, it's proof of how therapy talk can be weaponized, even though it's set out to be a helpful tool for people, but it can definitely be used to manipulate and gaslight other people. It's proof that people online don't understand what actual boundaries are versus manipulation Mm -hmm. or attempts to control your partner or someone else. And there also seemed to be some debate about whether posting photos of private messages was okay. And I think that that debate is interesting. In my personal opinion, I think what Brady did in this situation was fine because I think Brady had just cause, right? And just because we're seeing the text messages doesn't mean that we know the full extent of what happened between them. Like maybe the text messages are just the most damning proof, but not necessarily the most Mm. damning thing he did. And as someone who is a public figure, as Jonah is, I'm just wondering what else she could have done. I mean, I guess she could have taken the route of going to an actual publication and saying, I have these messages and I want to write this story. And maybe that's what I would have done. But at the same time, if we're sitting here talking about how important it is to understand when and when not it's okay to post private messages to a public forum, then we're talking about the wrong thing. And so I just felt very disheartened by the entire internet discourse around this because either people were talking about that and how that wasn't cool or people were talking about what is and isn't boundaries and almost every person was wrong because the messages if they are true or whether or not they are true what they are of definitely show emotional manipulation and gaslighting and control and not boundaries but control or attempts to control so It was just very harrowing to be on the internet at that point in time and watching people debate this when I, in my opinion, don't feel it was that debatable. (laughs) Like, Mm. to me, it was kind of clear and they were really awful. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really like what you're pointing at, Nadira, this idea of a situation that, you and I both read it and I think we're on the same page. And to us, it's like, okay, great. There's one side to this. We get it. Wonderful. But then people start piling on, quote, tweeting, throwing in Psychology Today screenshots. Just so much discourse that makes you realize like, oh, there is like another world that I just do not realize exists who are, I'll just say, defending Jonah Hill or trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, lighten the situation by saying like, oh, but like when I did this to my girlfriend, it was fine. We're married now. And I was like, okay, stop. And I agree with you that there is something so weird about people now making this about, is it okay to post text receipts, all that stuff. But for me, I feel like that's losing focus from what I think jumps out at me, which is (laughs) his overuse and misuse of the word boundaries and the thing is i appreciate sarah brady for posting these because i think we needed to have this conversation meet i me too also had to kind of you know remember what boundaries 
are, what their real definition is. On top of that, I just think it's very weird because, you know, we're talking about a guy who did like a Netflix documentary last year about his therapist as the subject. Okay, Jonah Hill made this documentary for Netflix. It's called Stutz. And I mean, that project, I always found it so weird because like, first off, where's HIPAA? But second, you know, we're talking about someone who starred in, produced, directed this documentary really after starring in and allegedly co-writing you people. I do not trust it. No, it definitely, I haven't seen that documentary. I do want to watch it just for journalistic purposes, but on mm-hmm. its face seems very ethically irresponsible in terms of how yeah. your relationship with your therapist is supposed to be. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on that, but I'm inclined to agree. And Jonah also said he was going to stop doing press for mental health reasons you know, amidst the release of this film. And so he wrote an open Mm -hmm. letter when the film came out, Stutz, and he said, quote, through this journey of self-discovery within the film, I have come to the understanding that I've spent nearly 20 years experiencing anxiety attacks, which are exacerbated by media appearances and public-facing events. He continues, with this letter and with Stutz, I'm hoping to make it more normal for people to talk and act on this stuff so they can take steps towards feeling better and so that the people in their lives might understand their issues more clearly. And I just feel as though somewhere this got lost in translation for him. Mm. You know, the messages that we're seeing are definitely not in line with this or maybe are overcompensating this in mm. terms of... You know, I want someone else to understand my issues more clearly that they're just actually self-excusing bad behavior. But I don't know. I'm not in his head. So I I can't fully say. Yeah. And, you know, to me, I sometimes feel like we were kind of approaching this point because, I mean, look, Nadira, you and I have both read all these articles that are like, the HRification of breaking up with your friend. What to say when you want to text about a friend breakup? Like, yeah. there is just something about the co-opting of this language that, like, inherently was created for good. It was to give language to the way that we suffer. But the way that he has turned it is so, so icky. I feel the same way as you. And... You know, as of this taping, Hill has not responded to Brady's claims, but seemingly in response to questions of why she felt like she needed to do this, Brady posted more screenshots from previous text exchanges they've had, and these show that Brady had tried to convey to Hill how their relationship impacted her privately between them long before she took to the internet. So this is a bit of a pending story. More information has come out, but the larger points don't change. But I think about this and I think about the Kiki Palmer story we're talking about. And it's just kind of interesting to me that these stories are falling right next to each other, right? Because, you know, we could talk about women being controlled by their boyfriends. We could talk about the ethics of posting screenshots, text receipts, social media, all that stuff. But when I think about the Internet of it all and just how rapid the discourse is, I'm just thinking about how sides were chosen so quickly, right? That like anyone with internet access is all of a sudden like becoming a relationship expert. They are in Darius comments telling him he's wrong. He's right. Here's what I heard from my therapist. Like, I just kind of wonder, Nadira, do you think people would care or talk so much about these stories without Twitter, without Instagram? 
Yeah, I mean, I think they definitely would talk. We've been gossiping and talking and tabloids have existed way before Mm -hmm. the internet and way before social media. It just would be amongst their friends instead of online. And so I think it's not necessarily about talk, but it's about where that talk is going, right? And for Mm. perpetrators or bystanders, there's this constant feedback and ability for everyone to see what is both a good thing or a bad thing or people debating about what is a good thing or a bad thing. And as many people as there are online saying, oh, you know, I feel so bad for Sarah Brady. I'm so proud of her for coming out and saying this. And as many people that are online that maybe needed to see that because they and their own relationships are experiencing the same thing and didn't realize they were being manipulated or gaslit or emotionally abused or controlled or what have you, there's an equal amount of number of people who are like, well, this is fine and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that will also make its way to the other people who want justification to know that this is fine. And so I just am struggling to see where, like, any way it can get better or worse than this. I think this is just kind of what it is now. There will always be an echo chamber online of people agreeing with you or disagreeing with you. And there will always be people picking apart the least important things and neglecting the big takeaways. And I just think the whole Jonah Hill news and the Kiki Darius news has made me more upset about the discourse on social media than anything. I mean, it, it was a mess. <laughs> it was a mess. And I just really don't know if I'm strong enough to be seeing other people's opinions like this. Like, I didn't want to know that that was your opinion. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> No, and I think, Nadira, what you're getting at is this question of, is it the people or is it the platform? And I think that's why I'm just really glad to have you on the show today, because you just wrote this really great piece for Slate.com that I think summarizes the state of social media right now. Yeah, Twitter has been flopping hard, hard Mm. after um, Apartheid Clyde bought the platform in October (laughs) of last year. That would be Elon Musk for those who don't regularly Uh listen to the show. He's Uh laid people off, tweets aren't loading, blue check marks are being taken away, and now there's rate limits, and it's just in general a mess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately, I do think that Twitter might still be like my most used app on the daily, but I too have been feeling that itch to just like leave the island because now we've got Mastodon, we've got Blue Sky, and we've also got like this big replacement called Threads, which was created by Meta. So this is the Facebook Mark Zuckerberg people. And according to the New York Times, Threads was an idea that Meta started about seven months ago. And it dropped on July 5th to some fanfare. Apparently, they are on track to acquire like 100 million users within two months. But you know, how do we feel about threads? Nadira, like, are we into this? Are we on this? Hate it? Love it? I'm on threads. I enjoy it. I think it's funny that my mom is on threads. She's not on Twitter. Should that give you any idea? And for anyone who hasn't signed up to threads, I will caution you by saying that people are hilariously, but also kind of accurately referring to it as Zuckerberg's 360 deal, because Mm. you cannot delete your Threads account without deleting your Instagram account. You can delete all the messages from it manually, one by one, if you wanted to. But once you have a Threads account, you are signed up unless you also want to delete your Instagram. And we know you don't, because we know you want to keep them thirst traps up there. Now, you can deactivate your Threads account. And it looks like Meta knows about the inability to delete your account and is looking into it. So hopefully soon you can delete your Threads account without deleting your Instagram account. 
But when you do log on and sign up, if you choose to do so, as I have, it's very, very Twitter reminiscent. It's obviously still early. It's still missing a lot of components like a window to see only people you follow. Like Mm. already, even as you log on, you're seeing threads from people you don't follow. And you're like, this is a part of one of the things I didn't want. But yeah, I mean, it's hard to beat the Instagram sort of world that it sits in it's very tied to instagram all you have to do is log on to threads connect your instagram and then it will automatically follow all of the people you follow on instagram so if you follow a whole bunch of meme accounts and people who bake food and look hot like i do and you thought oh wow i never wanted to hear them talk i only wanted to see them on instagram then you have to start unfollowing them because it does that but you know that integration is really really hard to beat it makes it a lot easier for people like my mom who have an instagram but don't have a twitter to sign up for threads and so i don't know i don't know it seems like maybe it's here to stay it's not the if i mean i don't know disregarding the 360 deal of it it's not the worst place to be but it's still not where everyone is yeah oh man i mean look celebs tech people journalists Nadira's mom. They are jumping on threads and people have been saying bye to Twitter for like the 30th time this year. And to me, I think I will say I am surprised that threads is even taking off in this way. But I just don't think threads is as fascinating or interesting or as sexy as another social media app that we're going to talk about today. Yes, that app is Spill. So Mm. Spill popped off recently because Twitter instated a very weird but very temporary aforementioned rate limit, meaning unverified users weren't allowed to see more than 600 tweets a day. Musk has since said that the limit would increase to more tweets per day, but either way, no matter what the limit is, any limit is rude. The limit should not exist. We listen to our forefathers and foremothers like (laughs) Lindsay Lohan. How else am I going to watch? All of my fan cams of the K-pop girl group New Jeans. I need those. I need those to survive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Candace, what do I do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, you can't come to me because how am I going to watch my Matthew McFadden fan cams? Look. And here's the thing. We can't come up with answers, but I can say this. We're talking about Spill. Spill is an app. It was coincidentally created by two former Twitter employees. Their names are Alfonso Fons Terrell and Devaris Brown. They founded the app in 2022. They're currently pre-seed, so they've got like a little under $3 million in funding right now. Right now, Spill is for invite only, meaning you need someone to give you a code and it's in beta mode. And it's for Apple users. So there isn't an Android version of the app yet, but the creators have ensured us that it's on the way. Mm-hmm. So it's not the most well-tailored, user-friendly version of itself yet. But according to its founders, though it was made for everybody, it was unabashedly made to center the Black community, the queer community, and other marginalized groups. And so today, we're going to dive into Nadira's piece. It's called My Week on Spill, the invite-only app, hoping to be the new Black Twitter. Okay, Nadira, let's start here. How did you first hear about Spill, and like, what kind of piqued your interest? Last weekend, I started hearing about Spill for the first time on Twitter. Just occasionally, I would see a few tweets about Spill. Um, And honestly, a lot of them were sort of conspiracy theory-esque. They were saying, why would I go on Spill when they're only having these kinds of conversations? And I was thinking, what is Spill? And also, how do you know they're having these kinds of conversations? Mm. 
And I realized that Spill was... Well, first, I realized that most of the people that I saw tweeting about it were black. And then I realized, I looked it up, and I realized that it was a predominantly black app that was created by two black people that was made to be a sort of replacement for black Twitter. But obviously, in the future, that might change. And I was very interested in getting on. And I saw that one of my close friends had just signed up and just got on. And so I asked him real quick for an invite code (laughs) and got on the app myself to see what was good. And yeah, it's been an interesting ride so far. Okay. Now, in your research, in your looking into this, was there any traction or did Spill even have users before this tweet? rate limit was implemented on Twitter? So it's hard to say. I was looking for that information myself, and I couldn't find anything definitive. I know that the app launched in June, and it seemed Mm -hmm. like when it originally launched, just from what I could gather, so this may not be the most accurate, but it seemed like it was well-regarded. You know, it did pretty well. It got, you know, a good amount of downloads, but it wasn't until the rate limit announcement that people really started to invite their friends and ask for codes and people really started to download and log on to spill and now at your piece very first person because you have been granted access so can you describe just like your user experience for us like is it funny do you like it what do you hate about it all that stuff i do really like it i think it's funny for the most part When we're off mic, I can uh, show you the top spills. And I'm only saying when we're off mic because one of them has a joke that I will not repeat on mic. (laughs) But but it's very funny and very respectable. It's just very black. Mm. So I don't Mm. feel comfortable saying it on mic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a very black space right now. There are very black jokes that are happening that are funny that you might not want to repeat in other areas. Um, And I do think there's also a lot of sort of self-help spills and accounts that are being made. Um, There's a lot of resources being shared for therapy. There's a lot of posting of selfies. There's a lot of just anything that you would expect to exist on a social media app. There's a little bit of news, but not too much news. And a lot of that has to do with the way that the app is orchestrated or set up or the way that it functions, its base functions. 100%. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Nadir will tell us why Spill might not be the answer to Twitter's downfall. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hey there. If you love our podcast, then maybe you should consider subscribing to Slate Plus. With Slate Plus, there are no ads on any podcasts. And Slate Plus helps keep this podcast going because this show would not be possible without your support. With Slate Plus, you'll get bonus segments and episodes for shows like Slow Burn, Culture Gap Fest, and Slate Money. You'll also never hit a paywall on the Slate website, meaning you get access to every article and every advice column. Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That's slate.com slash ICYMI plus. And we're back. You know, Nadira, I can totally see how Spill came about. Like, I can totally see tech companies looking at Elon's Twitter and just being like, this is a falling ship. I have a hole. Let me go for it. Considering Elon's just, like, implemented more layoffs, servers are crashing, the site is glitching, you know, people are like, oh, my God, I'm going to be on Tumblr now, AO3, Instagram, all this stuff, like... Why do you think there's such a deep desire for people to replicate or replace the Twitter experience? And like, do you think Spill is maybe going to be able to be that replacement? Twitter is so incredibly dominant. It is one of, if not the most dominant social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to understate what the shuttering of Twitter or its demise would mean. Plenty of people congregate on Twitter socially to learn more about new music or movies or photography or art, to organize, to come across threads of complex sociopolitical theory, to get their news, and of course, to make jokes and memes and laugh. And these memes and jokes can then seep their way into regular conversations, and obviously learning news is learning news. Like These things extend beyond Twitter. And socially, I think we all want Twitter, because we all want a sort of open air marketplace to be and to congregate and to watch others, which is sort of important to this conversation that we're having right now. Mm -hmm. Business wise, like you mentioned, just why wouldn't you want to try to be the next most dominant social media platform? But as far as spill goes, I really enjoy it. And I think it's good for many things. But I don't think it's the most adequate replacement for Twitter just yet, at least. And the main reason why I say this is because I just find it hard to envision a visual social media platform becoming the leading replacement for a textual one. Mm. So the way that Spill works is it is comprised of image cards or cards that can be an image, a GIF, a video, anything like that. And it overlays big, bold graphic text on top of it. And that text can only be 90 characters long. And even if you go to comment on a spill, you still only have 90 characters. You can't have entire threads that are really complex with a whole bunch of words about a news article or about a really dangerous trend that you're seeing in society or in the way we communicate. You similarly can't have jokes that run too long. You can't, you know, there are so many things that you can't have that Twitter does have. And I could say more about the specificities of that, but at 
just the base level, it's really hard for me to envision Twitter reforming and existing mostly or at its best on Spill when Spill is so visual and is so limited in its character space or allowance. I agree with you about this idea that I don't think anything can 100% replace Twitter just because to me, I feel like it's so integrated in culture and society. But Nadira, there's this part in your piece that I really, really like. You know, we're poking more and more holes into Twitter and you cited the co-founder, Terrell, he told Afrotech that Twitter is very inhospitable to its own culture drivers. What do you think he meant by this? So Black people and queer people embody and create the cultural zeitgeist of today. That is Mm. perhaps my opinion, but I actually don't think it's an opinion. I think that someone smarter than me who knows more about marketing and finance and numbers could actually prove that. And if it is just my opinion, I'm definitely not the only person who holds it. But that's what that is for now. And by that, I mean the music that is most popular, the fashion that everyone is wearing. I mean, think back to the episode about the clean girl trend that Rachel Mm -hmm. and I did. The slang that everyone, especially mostly younger generations, are using. Most, if not all of that, is derivative from Black and queer culture, or at least non-white and queer culture. And Black and queer Twitter are the mass cultural producers of Twitter. All of the best jokes, memes, trends, music, and art discovery, etc., most of it comes from those communities. They're the barometer for what is happening in culture and what is about to take off. Of course, this also means that the things that they make and that they champion or create are the most marketable and profitable as well. And Twitter has benefited and profited off of these groups' ability to make Twitter the site to log on to to get your cultural fix or your opinions on celeb drama or the latest news about Beyonce or the live tweeting about Shonda Rhimes' latest show. And in turn, there isn't a sort of monetization incentive that these Twitter accounts are profiting off of. And there's sort of no way for them to make that money back or to sort of reap some of the benefits of that profitability. And worse, instead of amplifying those voices beyond what the algorithm is doing, plenty of these creators get perhaps actively shadow banned on the platform. Mm -hmm. And additionally, Twitter does a horrible job of making it so that these groups that Black and queer people who are their biggest assets are protected from seeing explicitly racist and queerphobic content. Mm -hmm. And so imagine that you're someone who is a leading uh, creator that's a part of Black Twitter, and you've got, you know, 75K followers. And every time you tweet something, it goes semi-viral to very viral. But while you're on this platform, you're not making any money from the engagement that you are giving the platform. You're maybe passively scrolling past some of the most racist things you've ever seen Mm -hmm. or ever heard. Mm -hmm. And you're just overall sort of not getting back what you're giving out, which is a net positive and something that's very profitable. And so Spill's creators, their intention was to make a social media platform where those things were explicitly not happening. I think that's such an important thing to talk about because, you know, Spill's co-founder talked about how the core mission of Spill is to build for Black communities, queer communities, and other marginalized groups, period, end of story, end quote. And 
at least to me as kind of someone outside of it, I feel like we've kind of heard this language before with this little app called Clubhouse. Um, If you don't remember, Clubhouse was this voice chatting app where you would like pop into little rooms or forums, kind of like Club Penguin. And then people would just talk. They would just talk. And, um, you know, along with like every company in the tech industry, Clubhouse has not been doing that well. You know, earlier this year, they laid off 50% of their team. And, you know, this is an app that also started off as invite only. It blew up because it gained this really nice, strong fan base in the black community. But I also think Clubhouse's real downfall is that once it got huge investors, so it became this like VC darling non-Black users started invading the space. Media outlets started invading the space. Elon Musk did log on. And at that point, your space is diluted. And I think it's good to note that like Clubhouse's founders are not Black, but Spills are. So I think there's some goodwill here. But when I bring up Clubhouse, like, what do you think about that comparison? Do you think there is this possibility for Spill to go that direction? Or do you feel like kind of generally optimistic about the future? Man, you just never know. I The mm. thing about Clubhouse, well, there's so many things about Clubhouse. <laughs> the hype for Clubhouse was real. People were paying money yeah. for those invite codes, actual mm. hard-earned cash mm-hmm. for those invite codes, which is bananas and not something <laughs> that I think is happening for Spill or not something that I see is happening for Spill, right. which I don't know if that is saying a bad thing about their level of hype, you know, the idea of exclusivity so far. But we'll see. But the actual thing about Clubhouse is that rich white people were always invited. There were Mm -hmm. always sort of finance bros and business owners and just rich white people on the platform. It wasn't until it opened up for everyone that things really, really, really started getting out of hand. And Clubhouse's biggest problem was a lack of content moderation. So there were some absolutely wild conversations happening in those little meetings. And by wild, I mean misogynist, anti-Semitic, etc. And there was no one shutting down those conversations on that platform. And so it became very toxic very quickly, but it was still very popular, popular enough that Twitter stole it and implemented it in Twitter spaces. And that is a big marker or reason behind Clubhouse's decline. And so that's kind of what happened with Clubhouse. But I think Spill can be a more positive space if it tries. But like you said earlier, I'm honestly skeptical that any of these platforms will survive because I think, first of all, the Twitter alternative market is already too saturated. Twitter didn't exist before it existed. But in its succession, it's like, are you going on Mastodon or Blue Sky or Spill or Threads? There's already too many options. And like I was saying before, I simply think because of the integration with another incredibly popular app, Instagram, Threads might have the best chance of survival. But I find it hard to believe ultimately that we will say goodbye to Twitter for good. Mm -hmm. I just think it's too ingrained. It's too dominant. As toxic as it is, people will stay there because that's still where things are happening. And as long as that's the place where things are happening, then people will stay because they like to comment and report on or make memes about or jokes about the things that are happening, right? So if something like the Titanic submersible tragedy happens and people on Twitter are talking about it, but people aren't really talking about it on threads or on Instagram, then where do you think everyone's going to go to make their jokes or to find Mm -hmm. their news or to learn more about what's happening? They're going to keep going to Twitter. So as long as Twitter is the place where things are happening, then I do think that that 
will be the place where people stay. When I think about Spill, when I think about these Twitter alternatives, I kind of wonder, like, what do you think is the stronger desire here? Is it that people want to replicate Twitter or is it that people want a safer, better place for Black Twitter and community to thrive? I think what people want is for the Black community to thrive on Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. Like, in our heart of hearts, I think that's what we want. I don't know how possible that is, especially under the reign of someone like Musk. I think it's maybe perhaps impossible. But when Rachel and I interviewed Dr. Meredith D. Clark in our ICYMI episode about Black Twitter, she said many poignant things, one of them being that it's hard for her to imagine a Black space online existing because the creation of the internet, which was as a tool of the state, is antithetical to our reclamation of Blackness as an identity that we define ourselves. And similarly, she also noted that Twitter as an open-air stadium has pros and cons. The pros were we got to show the world that we were full human beings, that we're not a monolith, that we had something worthwhile to offer. The The cons were that non-Black people, armored with anonymity and unmitigated access to a space where Black people were carrying on the way we do, allowed them to extract meaning from Black communication and community without any consequences, and often only extracting partial meaning or misunderstanding what they were extracting. And they're Mm -hmm. also incentivized to do this because Black performance is the zeitgeist, and I think the same can be said for queerness. And I'm rehashing all of this because I do think deep down, any experience that doesn't have both the pros and cons won't feel the same. I'm unconvinced that regardless of what we want, that we're going to move anywhere else. And as horrible as it is to say, even if Twitter remains a toxic place for creators that are in a minority or that are marginalized to exist, it's again just hard to ignore that that's where things are still happening and that it'll be a lot easier to exist there just from a contextual perspective perspective, right? People might be happier on Spill, but people won't be as notable on Spill as they Mm. are on Twitter unless something changes. I find it hard to believe that we will just keep a space that's uniquely Black online. All right. In your perfect world, Nadira, what does Black Twitter look and feel like? And in this perfect world, by the way, Elon Musk cannot exist if you prefer. Wow. Okay. I think in my perfect world, Black Twitter looks like or feels like just being invited to the cookout, Mm. right? Like, I know that's an overdone concept. In fact, Rachel already did a whole episode about retiring the saying, but it really, truly, there's nothing more euphoric than being at a Black cookout or a Black party or whatever it is, being at the function, if you will, Mm. and having a plate full of food, full of things provided for you that was yummy and entertaining and kicking with your friends and family and being like, oh, here comes uncle so-and-so. They're going to say something really ridiculously out of pocket, but knowing that you know it's not true mm. or it's not right, right? That we're not just letting that language happen right. and having people believe that it's the proper language or proper thought process, right? That we're policing that a little bit, at least to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, the cookout is great. It has everything you're looking for. Good music, good recommendations. There's always someone who's dressed impeccably. There's always many people dressed impeccably. Mm -hmm. The kids are out there dancing, laughing. There's perhaps a TikTok being made nowadays. (laughs) I just think if it can really feel like the energy of being at the cookout or being at the function, then we'll, we'll be fine. Okay, that's the show. 
We'll be back in your feed on Saturday, so definitely subscribe. That way, you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. And tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions like, Hey, Nadira, what's the invite code? And you can always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Rachel Hampton, and Candice Lynn. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. See you online. Or at Usher's Vegas Residency.